0: Like Ken said, it's a, a family Sunday. Whenever there's a fifth Sunday in the month, we give our children's church workers uh, the day off, and, uh, and a few changes then that happen is uh, the, uh, the sermon today is going to be a little more audiovisual visual than, than you're used to. Um, we don't get a fat fifth Sunday without at least one cat video and or children's story. So uh, if this is your first time here, just understand it's a little different. Um, but now friends let 's take a, a minute to prepare for uh, for the preaching the reading of, of god 's Word.
1: Let us pray for receptive hearts in the reading and preaching of god 's holy Word. Prepare our hearts, Lord, as we come before you today. Give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would apply the word to our hearts and open our eyes to the truth of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and the great sacrifice he made while we yet sinners. In his name we pray, amen. A New Testament reading from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, beginning with verse 5, the Gospel of the Lord. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, With no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, with many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This is a gospel of the Lord. Lord
0: Thank you, Jackie. Who are the people who you do not like being around? Maybe it's somebody on the playground or somebody who lives down the street, maybe for you grown-ups it's somebody in your workplace, maybe it's people from a certain political perspective or cultural background. Certain religious groups, people who dress differently from you, believe differently from you, who think differently and vote differently from you, and now I want you to picture a face of one of those people that you don't like being around, and I want you to imagine that Jesus is telling you this morning that he wants you to move into their basement and live with them. That's what the passage we're going to be reading is all about, because... There were two groups of people in the ancient world that did not not like each other. Jews and Gentiles, which just meant non-Jews. They couldn't stand each other. And we're going to look at an instance in the early church that Paul describes where Jesus did something remarkable. It's Galatians chapter 2. I'm going to read the first ten verses. This is God's Word. Paul has just described his conversion experience and how he had left, fled into the desert, and he says this, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles, but I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus... Who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We didn't give into them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were, makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews was also working in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James and Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship and they recognized the grace given to me and they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews and they asked, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. What do we see in this passage? What we see is that Jesus is bringing all different kinds of people together into his Family. I mean, look at how different these people were. There are racial differences. Titus was a Greek. That means he was a Gentile. Everybody else in the room was a Jew. They should have hated each other. There were differences of culture between the Palestinian Jews who lived in Jerusalem and the Diaspora Jews who were from other areas and were more Greek, more Hellenized in their style and their manner. Barnabas, it says, was a Cypriot Jew. He was from Cyprus. Uh, They had differences of mission. Peter to the Jews in verse seven, and Paul the Gentiles. They had differences in how they'd received the gospel because all these other men, the the disciples, you know, Peter and those guys, they had witnessed and walked with the the Jesus, during his earthly ministry for three years, they had history together. They went, Their stories went way back. And Peter, it was after Jesus had died and risen and ascended to heaven that, that Jesus came and revealed himself to Paul. And so Paul had a completely different spiritual background. They, they had socioeconomic differences, the call to remember the poor in verse 10. And yet we see Jesus building his church family and he's pulling from all sorts of different places. It's, it's sort of not like this. We got to photo. Can you get that picture? Uh, anybody can tell me what that is, what they're making in that factory? French fries, right. Um, this factory runs 310 days a year, turning potatoes into french fries. The conveyor belt uh takes wet clean potatoes into a machine that that blasts them with steam for 12 seconds in order to boil the water inside the potato so that the outside uh, peel of the potato bursts off and explodes and then they 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 pump them into a preheated tank and they shoot the potatoes through a lamb water gun knife so that they emerge as shoestring fries and Four video cameras then scrutinize these fries from four different angles, looking for flaws. And whenever one French fry is different, whenever one French fry has a blemish, a super powerful jet of air blasts that one French fry off onto a side tray so that it can then be chopped up with little teeny tiny knives so that it's turned into a perfect fry just like the other. And then, you know, air cooled by compressed ammonia gas quickly freezes them. A computerized sorter divides them them into six-pound batches, a device that spins like an out-of-control lazy Susan, uses centrifugal force to align all the french fries so they're all pointing in the same direction so they don't waste any space in the brown bags that they're then put on and sealed and loaded by robots into cardboard boxes, and the boxes are stacked by robots onto wooden pallets, and what is the end goal? That there are billions and billions of french fries that all look exactly alike, and that is not how... Jesus builds his church. We like uniformity, but God likes diversity. Uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, one Indian pastor told uh, 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 Philip Yancey, he said, most of what happens in Christian churches in India, even the miracles can be duplicated by Hindu temples and in Muslim mosques. But in my area... Only the Christians strive, however ineptly, to mix men and women together, men and women of different castes and different races and different social groups. And he says that's the real miracle because only a real God can do that. You see, diversity actually complicates things. It makes it more difficult. Difficult. When you go into a church that is a church that Jesus created and you see all these different people, you're going to think, I'm the only fill in the blank. I'm the only single person. I'm the only married person. I'm the only person with kids my age. I'm the only person with this background or that background. I'm the only person who looks like me and is of my race or my nationality. I'm the only person who lives on my street or in my neighborhood. All these other people are different. They're older or they're younger or they're, they have a different life stage or they have a different political opinion. And I don't really. fit in. And if that's what you feel, you're doing it right. I always hear people saying, man, I want a diverse community group. And I'm like, that's really wonderful. That's really noble. I want to support you in that. Okay. That means you're going to get one 70 year old and a pair of 55 year olds and one 40 year old with kids and one 24 year old newlywed and one single person and, and one widow. And you're going to get together. And what are you going to think? Well, we don't have anything in common. What are we going to talk about Jesus you know that's that's the point uh because that's what what God does it's like uh, um you know one guy I read uh, mark Mark DeMaz, uh talks about uh, uh the difficulty of doing church together and he describes it as if if, if you're a Big extended family and you're all, every day you have your ritual at the dining room table and everybody's there at the dining room table. Grandma who's still spry in her 80s is down there because she's helping feed the baby beforehand and, and your twins are walking in and they're obviously been fighting over who's going to have the remote control. But they're sitting down, everybody's getting down at the table and you look up and the one person that's missing is your teenage son. And so you're like, whoa, what's going on? So you go upstairs and you find your teenage son and he's on a video game, he's got the earmuffs on so he can't hear you or you think that he can't be interrupted but you think otherwise and so you interrupt him and you say, oh, what are you doing? Didn't you hear mom say it's time for dinner? Yeah, I don't like meatloaf. You don't like meatloaf. Maybe you need to come down. Because maybe your presence is what the family needs today. Maybe it's not about the meatloaf. Maybe it's about family. And tomorrow it's going to be pizza. You like pizza. Grandma can't eat pizza. It messes up her insides just awful. And so she's not going to eat tomorrow, but she's still going to be at the table. And she's going to be thankful she has a seat at the table because she's with her family, even though she's the only grandma in the room. All of us are different. Because Jesus has taken people from all different kinds of backgrounds and bringing them together. I mean, think of how poorly this meeting in Jerusalem could have gone. I mean, for one thing, you've got Paul, who doesn't know any of the apostles, who's been preaching his own gospel out to Gentiles and and. And he's coming in to find out, uh, you know, have I been preaching the same message as you? Did Jesus give us the same message, or am I doing this in vain? And so he's obviously worried about that. you got all of these Jews who are going to watch him bring Titus, a Greek, in, uncircumcised. And they're going to think, this filthy monster. We can't eat. Send him out to the the kid's table. He needs to eat in the kitchen. You know, we can't do that. Coming in with his pork chops and his bacon cheeseburger, all his Gentile breath. And then you think the Palestinian Jews, they're looking at these Hellenistic Cypriot Jews as being so highfalutin and sophisticated with their togas, with their Greek language, can't speak Aramaic like us. They're too good for us. And then you got them looking down on, on these redneck stick in the mud dinosaur jews in jerusalem who just can't get with the times and you think you think poor titus what's he thinking they, they're gonna grab a knife you know they're gonna have to they're gonna make me into a jew uh you know and there's no anesthesia This could go really poorly guys and yet it doesn't look at how together they are they're like family Titus walks in with his bacon cheeseburger in his mouth and they say, nah, Titus, you're fine. You don't have to become like us. Come on, have a seat. We're not going to get out the knife, Titus. You're fine. You're different. That's okay. You're one of us. You have Jesus and that makes you family as you are. No hoops to jump through. No need to prove yourself. No need to perform. No need to fake it. No need to prove you're really a believer with your background. Yeah, it's, it's the opposite of what human beings normally do. And it's like Jesus explained in in the passage Jackie read to us from Matthew 8, when he saw this Roman soldier, a Gentile, believing, and he's praising this. Jesus doesn't praise many sinners in in, in the Gospels. You know, usually you go up and interact with Jesus and you walk away with your tail between your legs. But but he sees this Gentile, not even circumcised, not even a Jew, and he believes. And, And Jesus says, I haven't seen this kind of faith anywhere, even among my own people. And he says that in the coming day, there are going to be many who are going to come from the east and from the west, from, from Babylon, from India, from China, from Mongolia, from the west. That's us. Um, and, and they're going to come and have a seat at my kingdom, and we're going to feast together. It's so unlikely that Titus would be in a room with a bunch of Jewish people, and they'd be able to sit down and talk together and be family. It's the most unlikely kind of relationship. We've got some pictures of what this would have felt like or looked like. Uh, it's like when uh, Anjana, the chimp, adopted two white tiger cubs in South Carolina. You know, tigers usually eat chimps. Or, you know, this Labrador uh, and and cheetah, uh, at Bush Gardens in Florida. You know, that's never gonna happen in real life, except it does. Or the baby lion and the tiger cubs who took in the baby monkey in China. Uh, you know, they're best friends. These, these are natural born enemies are actually coming together. This is a picture of what church looks like, friends. This is a picture of, you know, the rhesus monkey that adopts his best friend, the puppy. You know, or, or the mama dog who stops who steps in to feed tiger cubs because the mama tiger was so exhausted she couldn't produce milk. This is what it looks like when your kids say, can I have friends over for lunch? You know, it's it's what church should look like. You know, for a Jewish church to be letting Titus, this Greek, in, these Jewish Christian leaders were agreeing that God had cracked open the door to let in the Gentiles. And so, Titus, you're good. It could have looked something at first like this. We've got another photo here. Um, You know, you can kind of tell which one's Titus because he's trying really hard to fit in. But it's really obvious, you know, he is the Gentile in a church full of Jewish people. And he, at that point, is the only one. But realize what these Jewish believers were doing when they were saying, we're going to let in the Gentiles. We're going to bring, we're going to open the door because God has said so. We're going to break the seal. You know what's coming next. We've got a video of, of of what was coming next. They had to see it coming if we could get that uh, 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 video of, of what's next. You know, once you let one Gentile in, There are a lot more Gentiles than there are Jews, boys and girls. And once they said, come on in, you know what's coming next. This is the, the 80s, the 90s, the year 100, 110. This is early church history. This is, this is what is coming next. And they know this is going to radically change the face of the church. They're going to have to be giving up their Jewish culture, their Jewish assumptions. Let's get that next photo. It looks like this. So the church went from looking like this in the year 50 to looking like that 50 years later. You know, this is massive sacrifice. You know, this was costly hospitality. And yet they were choosing to give up power. These Jewish believers in Jesus were choosing to give up power and give up control. They knew what would be coming once they cracked open the door. But Jesus had said, I'm cracking open the door. The gospel is for all people, every tongue and tribe and people and nation. And I want you to all come together and figure out how you can change to live your life by my grace. Jesus, what we see is he's bringing different kinds of people together to be his family. And that's really, really hard. Why is that hard? That is hard because all of us tend to uh, build our life on something other than God, something that we rely on and look to in order to make ourselves feel significant. Um, And they're always good things. Maybe it's that you're really good at sports and you see yourself as the athletic person and that kind of puffs you up and you think that makes you important. Or maybe it's you're the guy with all the cool toys. Or maybe you're the girl with the cool new phone. Or maybe you're the one who's really good in school or really good at your work. Uh, you know, maybe it's that you get to make your own decisions. Maybe it's the part of town you live in, the kind of car you get to drive. Maybe it's your political views that you think makes you special and makes you important and makes you significant. Or maybe it's your race or your ethnic heritage or your job or your success or your money or your nationality. And all of these are good things. All of these can be part of your story. All of these are part of God's calling. But what happens is we make them more than that. We make them something that, that we that we think are what makes us special or significant or make us matter. And, and and they promise us freedom, but in verse 4, what they end up delivering is slavery. And they cause us to look down on people who are different from us, just like so many of the first century Jews looked down on Gentiles and despise them because they thought that they were less than us. I mean, what does this look like if, if you're building your identity on the fact that 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 you're really good at sports, you're going to look down on the weak kid who's not any good at sports. And if you think it's because you got the cool toys that you're special, then you're going to look down on people who don't have any cool toys. If you think it's your political opinions that make you one of the good people, then you're going to look at people with different political perspectives and look at them as if they're the bad people. It's going to train you to hate and you're going to have to because you're purchasing your significance at the expense of other people who are not like you. It's 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 what we always do and it causes Causes so much damage it promises freedom, but it delivers slavery as so many of these teachers were trying to pull the early church back into the slavery of Jewish pride in their religion and their culture. Um, got another picture here. Anybody read this story? What's that? Yeah, that's the snitches. Um Sneeches, classic example, Doctor Who's story of, of the, the sneeches. There are two kinds of sneeches. There are the sneetches that have the star on the belly, and then there are the sneeches that don't have any star on their belly. And you know which group's special. It's the group with the stars on their bellies that are the special sneetches. And so they, they play in all the games and leave the, the no-star sneeches off on the sidelines. And They eat together at the table and leave everybody else off on their own. And, and, and until somebody comes to town and he, he, he's invented an invention that will print a star on your sneetch belly so that you can be one of the special ones too. And so and so then all of the, the sneeches that don't have stars on their belly, they want to be significant too. So they get stars printed on their bellies. And then everybody's cool except, you know, who's not happy about that? The people who were purchasing their identity at the cost of the other sneeches because now they're just like everybody else and they're not special anymore. But you know what, Mr. Salesman, he has a de-starifier that will remove the sneech star from your sneech belly, and so then all of the the, the rich and high originally starred sneeches then get their sneech stars removed, and then they decide it's really cool if you don't have a star on your belly. Those are the sneeches that really matter, and so then soon, suddenly everybody's going back and forth, getting stars put on and taken off. This guy's making a load of money, but what it shows us is the way we tend to rely on something about ourselves. to make us significant and how that ends up hurting other people. So how then is it possible if we tend to build our lives on things other than God makes it very, very hard for us and yet Jesus wants to bring all sorts of different people together in his family in the church. So how is that possible? It is possible, friends, because of this. The gospel takes away your snitch star. You see, that's good for the snitches. You see, the Jewish Christians, they were the sneeches who originally had stars on their bellies. And something happened that made them realize that the stars don't really count anything at all. They don't matter. But it wasn't a salesman who tricked them. It was someone who loved them. It's what Paul here calls the gospel, the good news about what Jesus has done on our behalf. He calls it the gospel in verse 2. In verse 4, he says it's about Christ Jesus. In verse 5, he speaks of the truth of the gospel. In verse 7, he talks about the gospel. Gospel, 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 Christ Jesus, gospel. How does the gospel accomplish that? Well, first of all, the gospel tells us that even with our speech star, uh, uh, we're so bad <laughs> that Jesus had to die for us. That means a star on your belly doesn't really mean much. It means the kind of car you can drive doesn't really mean much. The part of town you can live in, the kind of toys you have, your athletic ability, those can all be part of your story. They can all be significant, but they don't define you. And and, and when it comes to being a sinner before a holy and righteous God, they, they give you nothing at all to actually help you. If you could imagine, for example... Imagine you made a mistake, you uh, you went and got a bunch of gasoline and poured it all over your school building and burned the building down in the middle of the night and did millions of dollars of damage, and then you robbed a bank down the street and stole a million dollars, and they had cameras going the whole time, and so they've got film footage of all of this, and you're there at home, and, and there's a knock on the door, sheriffs and police officers, they're all there, they tackle you, They they put you in handcuffs, they take you to court eventually, and you're there before the judge, and he's got all of this evidence against you, and they know you did it, and you're going to go to jail for the rest of your life. And so you speak up. Is there anything you can say in your defense? And you say, I've got a sneech star. And the judge says, I don't care. You're guilty. You're going to jail. See, it can't help you. There's nothing that we can do as sinners as those who are broken, who aren't what God intended, we're not the best of humanity. If we're really honest about what goes on inside of us, let alone how we talk about people and snap at them, and all the ways we worry about how they think about us and how they perceive us, all of this is a part of our sin. And the Bible says that's our problem, because when we turned against God, there's nothing we can do to undo that. But there is something that Jesus could do to undo that or at least to address that. And that's what he did on the cross when he took your place. Jesus signed up to go to jail in your place so that you could go free. And he sat in that cell and they beat him and they whipped him and then they executed him. He died so that you would not have to die in, in that kind of way. He took the judgment of God so that you don't have to. Jesus took your spanking for you because that's the gospel. He did it because he loves you, because he doesn't want to lose you. The gospel tells us, though, that we're completely loved and safe, even though we're still so bad. And yet Jesus loves sinners like us. Your best friend Jesus died for you in your place because he loves you and he won't lose you. And that means that all of us, whom Jesus brings into his family together, have nothing we can brag about except this one thing. One thing you can brag about. One thing you can take pride in. One thing that can puff you up in the most wonderful way. The one thing you can brag about is that Jesus loved you when you were a sinner. That he died for you and he's given you eternal life. And he's taking all of us broken instruments, Jews and Gentiles of different races and different backgrounds and different stories and different stages of life, and he's making a beautiful symphony out of us. In December of last year, there were 400 musicians who gathered at the 23rd Street Armory of of Philadelphia to perform a symphony of a broken orchestra by David Lang. The orchestra included amateurs, as well as professionals and even members of the storied Philadelphia Orchestra. The youngest performer was a nine-year-old cellist, and the oldest was an 82-year-old oboista might have been the most diverse orchestra in American history. We've got some pics. Let's see these images. You've got to see what this looks like. The 400 of them brought with them broken instruments, a trumpet that was held together with blue painter's tape, a violin that had no A-string, a bow that had lost most of its hair, a cello that was carried in in multiple pieces. You see, the government had cut funding for school music programs, and so their instruments from the schools had fallen into some state of disrepair, but Lang made something beautiful out of them. And as the musical piece opened, many of the instruments were silent, but gradually they found their voices. While a trumpet you know, might not be capable of a sound, the keys could still tap a rhythm. The scraping of a bow over the silhouette of a violin could could add an unusual element. And at one point, a cellist made noises by turning the stringless peg of his cello. And as the 40-minute symphony progressed, the instruments roared to life. Some of the musicians struggled like a clarinetist who could get out only short spurts of sound and a French horn player who kept losing his mouthpiece. But together the orchestra produced rich harmony and the music was playful and joyous and as the performance wound down, each section bowed out one by one until all that remained was the humble squeal of one broken clarinet. And friends, that's the Church of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus does when he forms us into a family. He is taking snitches whose stars don't matter. He's taking people with broken instruments who can only squeak or make weird sounds. He's bringing us all together in all of our brokenness. And out of that, he's creating a symphony as he takes sinners and makes us family together. Jesus is the one who left his own culture and gave up his own power in order to open the door for us who were so very different from him. And he did it. He left the ultimate gated community and came among us so that we can be his family. Very, very different people. But Jesus actually wants to reconcile everything together in his family, the church, people. And ultimately, when we look at the big trajectory of where God's taking history, people and animals and God and the earth itself, what what the prophets and in, in Hebrew spoke of is shalom, a universal flourishing of God and creation and humanity all together in a web of peace and hope and love. The Bible tells us that day is going to happen when the lion and the lamb lie down together and a little child leads them. When the nations are healed, when Jesus speaks of the renewal of all things, friends, it begins here. It begins now with people who are very different, who grate on each other, who get on each other's nerves, learning to be a family of love and loyalty and commitment together, not despite our differences, but because of them, because it puts on display to the watching world the power of the gospel of Christ. I love the story of Christian the lion. There were two guys, it was back in 1969, when two young guys from Australia happened to be living in London, and they walked into Herod's department store in London and came out, 5000 U.S. dollars, the equivalent of $5,000 later, they, they they left with a baby lion. They had some money, obviously. They could afford it and they they took this baby lion to their their flat. Uh, We've got some photos. Could we get those photos? Um, They named him Christian, and they took him to their London flat. That means apartment. And... uh, and, you know, they, they fed him. He ate a lot of food. I mean, this was a lion that just gobbled it. And whenever you wanted to watch the television, there was Christian always ready to watch your black-and-white picture tube TV with you. And and Christian, the thing is, he started getting bigger and thirstier and hungrier. And so they had to then... They made a deal with a local vicar of a Moravian church to let Christian run around in the, uh, in the churchyard so that he could actually get outside and get some exercise. But the reality was that this little lion was getting too big and he was going to have to be returned to the wild and there were games keepers who who were preparing a way so they drove him to the airport, put him in a crate, shipped them to Africa and off he went into the wild blue yonder and uh, a year later... They were making some inquiries, wanting to know if, if Christian was okay. And a, an African gameskeeper let him know that, yeah, he had actually reverted completely to the wild. He was no longer tame in any way, shape, or form. And, in fact, he had his own pack, and he was now actually a very dangerous animal. Um, and yet John and Ace, these two guys, wanted to see Christian and to see if there would be any recollection, any memory at all and so they got in a plane, and they flew to Africa. Uh, this is long after this animal's return to the wild. And we've got a video of, of what happened when they finally tracked down Christian. Uh, is They actually saw him, and he saw them, and they don't know if he's going to eat them or destroy them or shred them, because if you're threatening his cubs, it could go very badly. And so he rushes at them, and this is what happens, friends, because this is what the Bible tells us is coming. When God weaves together, not just different kinds of people, but all creation itself, a time is coming when the nations will be healed. A time is coming when the renewal of all things will be at hand. When God will restore the cosmos itself, and a lion and a lamb will lie down together and we'll be there, and nobody's going to be on the menu. Friends, This is what's coming. This is the future. This is what Jesus died to create. It's coming. It's coming soon. Praise the name of Jesus. The world itself shall be saved. (laughs) Praise the Lord. That's what's coming. Friends, let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your faithful love. We give you thanks for the work of Christ, for its cosmic implications. Lord, we thank you that the renewal of all things is coming, that the restoration is coming, that the creation itself will be renewed, that that there will be a renewed heaven and renewed earth, and a voice will speak from the throne that says, Behold, I am the one who makes all things new. We give you thanks And we consecrate to you the elements on this table that we might live out the gospel as a family together for the sake of this great city which you love. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.